So we are in the season of Lent. 40 days, not including Sundays, a preparation that will deliver us to the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter morning. Now, Lent has always been about taking a spiritual journey. It's always been about going deeper in our faith. And many times you'll hear pastors get up and talk about all the importance of Bible study, of prayer, both private and corporate, of worship, of, well, the list just goes on and on, of all the acts of piety that we can be involved in that can help us to get more in tune with our inner self. But I actually want to challenge you today. And the challenge is this. Because the journey we're going on is not just an inward journey. It is a bi-directional journey. And what I mean by that is not only are we called to go deeper, but then that in which we go deeper shows in who we are. It can be seen in the way that we live. In other words, yes, read your Bible, pray, do daily devotions. But the question comes, do those things manifest themselves in your life? Are you a better person because you do it? Because if you're not, and it's not working, maybe you need to do something else. Maybe we need to be more intentional and understand that when we go inside, when we go inward, it's going to have an outward focus. It has to. We can't do one without the other. In other words, if you're, if you're going to stand up and say, hey, I've done a Bible study on every book of the Bible. I mean, I know it, inside and out. And then my question is, okay, so how does that make you a better person, a better Christian, a better disciple? And your answer is, well, I'm really good at Bible trivia. You want me on your team. Then I don't think it had the consequence that we were looking for. You need to be able to say, you know what? Because of reading the Bible, I feel closer to God in Jesus Christ. Because of reading the Bible, I have wrestled with what it means to love, and I know that love is hard. I know that love is difficult, because if love were not difficult, God would have never made it a commandment, right? We'd just do it. But it's rough. It's difficult. It's not easy. But that's the journey. It's an inward journey that's supposed to be able to be seen by the outside world because we are getting better. And today we're going to talk about this thing called temptation, right? I mean, that's where we find Jesus in our passage today. You know, the great poet and writer Oscar Wilde said, the only way to get rid of temptation is to give in to it. You know, we, we laugh at temptation, and most of us do give in to it once in a while. 
Sometimes it's only for a 700-calorie piece of chocolate cake, which doesn't leave a severe consequence unless you keep giving into that temptation over and over and over again. Other times, the stakes and the consequences are higher and more painful. Some temptations become cumulative, and it becomes impossible to not give in. You would think that the undesirable consequences themselves would help us and train us from giving in to temptation. But all too often, we fail and we sin, and we do it again and again and again. Now, Holy Scripture does have a lot to tell us and teach us about temptation and how to deal with it. And here's the first thing. Do not be surprised by temptation. It's going to be there. It's going to be out there. I mean, let's also think of it this way. If Satan has the gall to tempt the Son of God, Satan is going to have no trouble tempting you. There was a man who came to preacher and theologian Charles Finney and said, Dr. Finney, I just want you to know I don't believe in the existence of the devil. Do you? (laughs) Dr. Finney smiled and said, well, if you'll just resist Satan's temptation, I promise you'll believe. The Bible never says that we are going to be temptation free. So do not be surprised when it comes for you. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 8, gives us this warning. Like a roaring lion, your adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. Now, let's be brutally honest here and understand that temptation never leaves us alone. I mean, that's why Jesus has us pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from temptation. So never be surprised being tempted. It is a part of our human nature. Now, in our scripture reading this morning concerning Jesus' temptation, it says that Satan left and that angels then ministered to Christ. Now, the account of Jesus' temptation is not only in Matthew's gospel, we also find it in Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel. In Luke's gospel, we're told that Satan ended the temptation until a more opportune time. My friends, Satan and spiritual forces of evil are relentless. I assure you that when you are most vulnerable, when you're the most tired, when you're the most unexpected, that's when temptation is going to come. At the most opportune time for our adversary. C.S. Lewis said this, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. We need to grow in the love of Christ. We need to use 
our spiritual disciplines to strengthen us. And at the same time, those spiritual disciplines have to show themselves in who we are. People ought to be able to comment and say, you seem more patient, you seem more kind, you seem more loving. I can't believe you're going to do that. I can't believe you're going to help somebody in need. I can't believe you're going to volunteer. I can't believe you're going to, well, again, fill in the blank there, right? People need to notice that our piety is making a difference in the way that we live. I mean, the Bible's always been clear that there are acts of piety, acts that bring us closer to God, and then there's also this thing called acts of charity. And that's our acts of piety getting put into action, making a difference. People need to see that. Now, I know for me, I've had people see things in me, in my spirit, that I wasn't glad that they saw because it was a reflection of my own sinful nature. And so bursts of anger come out, you know, unkind words come out. Well, that's, again, what's going on the inside making its way to the outside. Now, sometimes those things are, you know, kind of surface level. I'm reminded that I'm getting older, right? No one likes that, but it's happening on the inside too. And I, I just got a haircut on Friday. And I sat down in the barber chair. And uh, the lady cutting my hair, I, you know, I was telling her, you know, what numbers to use and all that. And we were having a talk. And I, and I finally, I said to her, wouldn't it be great if you had clippers that just took gray out of hair? I think we ought to invent that. We could make a fortune. And she paused a minute. She looked at me and she said, oh, sir, you'd have big bald spots on your head if we did that. (laughs) So, yeah, what we do on the inside needs to show on the outside because I promise you it will show. I promise you the difficulties of our life will show if we don't live into the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you you believe in evil? You don't have to answer out loud. Just answer in your heart. Do you believe in Satan? Do you believe in the devil? I mean, there's a lot of different terms. Do you believe in the adversary? The Bible has a lot of different terms to talk about this. You know, there was a time, you know, many of you know, I, I went to uh, undergrad uh, at a Methodist college because I was like, hey, I want to get started on learning this stuff about the Bible. I, at the age of 14, I felt my call, and I was ready to go. And so by the time I ended up in, in seminary when I was in graduate school, I kind of thought, well, you know what? Here's the thing. I, I'm just too smart to... Uh, to think that there's a devil, right? I mean, when we talk about Satan and the devil, isn't that just a personification of evil, you know? Uh, I mean, are we, are we using this, the devil maybe as like a scapegoat 
for our own sinfulness and things like that just so we can blame somebody else and not blame ourselves. I mean, there's all these things. And then I remember I took a class from uh, a professor I really thought was one of the, the smartest uh, Christian thinkers I had ever come across. And he stood up there and he said, he challenged us. And he said, hey, you need to make sure that you talk about evil in your credo, in your dissertation paper when you talk about what the church believes. You need to talk about that. And I remember there was even some students there who said, well, really? Is that something we should do? I mean, what if it's not true? And he said, oh, you don't think it's true, huh? Well, have you read the Bible? Do you see that Jesus believes in evil? In Satan? In the devil? Why are you smarter than Jesus? So what do you think? Where are you on that? Again, I'm not here to make you believe anything. I'm here just to kind of throw out, here's where I'm at, and let God work in your life. Let God be the one who opens up the truth. You know, that temptation is something we really do have to be careful with. Because temptation, again, if we don't find ways to deal with it, it's going to become a part of it. It's going to start defining who we are in the inside. And then it's going to be seen by the rest of the world. An example is there's a, an old fable. It's an Arab fable that is told. It's told of, a, of an Arab who's trying to go to sleep at night in his tent. And of course, in the desert, it gets really cold at night. And so he's fallen asleep, and he's awakened by his camel. And his camel has stuck his head in the tent and says, oh, master, it's so cold out here. Can I just keep my head in your tent? The man said, sure. And then as the night went on, he's awakened again. It's so cold, sir. I'm just going to put my forelegs into the tent. Absolutely. And he goes back to sleep. The next thing you know, the camel's in the tent completely. And there's not room for the man who's now outside the tent. Now, you're kind of seeing that this fable has an interesting twist there at the end. That's exactly what temptation and sin does to our lives. It moves in, and when it moves in, there's no longer room for you, or there's no longer room for Jesus Christ. It pushes you out. We have to be aware. We have to know that it's there. Now, one of the things you also notice about Jesus is that the temptations that Jesus is, is tempted with by Satan are things that he's supposed to do or can do to alleviate his suffering. He's been fasting without food and water for 40 days, right? He's starving. And so he's tempted with that. He's tempted to save himself and he's tempted for power. 
But one of the things you're going to notice about Jesus is Jesus never uses his power to save himself or to help his own difficult situation. He uses his power when people are hungry to feed 5,000 people. You might remember that when Jesus is hanging on the cross and the Pharisees are walking by and they're looking at him, the Sanhedrin, what are they saying? Well, if this really is the Son of God, then let him use his own power to save himself. But again, Jesus doesn't do it. You know, I'm not sure that that wasn't the time that Satan said, hey, I'm going to come back and tempt Jesus at a time when he's more vulnerable. I mean, how vulnerable do you have to be being tortured to death on a cross and to know that you had the power to save yourself but because of the love that you had for God's people, you didn't do it because you knew you were going to save them and not yourself. My friends, temptation is not a bad thing because temptation can help us take steps forward in our faith. It can be a testing ground in which we're strengthened. But only when we're prepared for it and only when we know it's going to come. And so we're putting and using the spiritual disciplines in our life. We're coming to church. We're reading the Bible. We're praying. We're worshiping. We're, we're taking part in Holy Communion. We're in Christ-centered small groups. We're tithing. We're fasting. We're doing those things that we've been called to do. And then those things also have a way of making themselves known in each of us. Ultimately, the way you deal with temptation is to make sure you stay connected to Jesus Christ. When do you feel closest? D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, was once put a glass down on a, an empty glass on a table and said, how do I get all of the air out of this glass? Well, one man said, well, you could use a vacuum. And Moody said, well, you know, a, a vacuum would work, but ultimately it would break the glass. He goes, I think there's a better way to get all the air out of the glass. And he put the air there, and then he poured water into the glass. My friends, when you're filled with Christ, when you're filled with the love of Christ, there's no room for anything else. Temptation's gonna come, it's not gonna stop. But you know, when you're filled with Christ, you're going to have the ability, the resolve, the knowledge to resist temptation. So my friends, as we go into this sermon series on living inside out, let's be filled with Jesus Christ.
then let's have Christ. I just don't think you can be filled with Christ and it not show. Be filled with that love. And may it be seen by all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.